This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Today we are focusing on drawings and the question that first comes to mind is to talk about what we draw and why, which we might actually do, but the real conversation is centered around how much and why the answer to that question is so complicated. Welcome to episode 143, Architectural Drawings, Excessive or Essential. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to talk about drawings, which shouldn't come as a shock because we told everybody we were going to talk about drawings a lot this year. (laughs) And so one of the very first topics, and this is something that I've talked about a bunch on the website in the last 13 years. Andrew and I have talked about it probably a lot offline. I think I've talked on this topic to almost everybody that I have any kind of working relationship with in some capacity in the last 10 years. And it's because what we draw and why we draw and how much of what we draw has changed a lot in that time span. That's my perspective. And if I ask for a show of hands, I feel fairly confident everybody would be raising their hand in agreement on that. At least I assume that I can count you in that mix, (laughs) Andrew. Yeah, I would say everybody that's been in the profession for a while, 13, 20 years or so, that there is a hand raising that would be from that group. I mean, maybe not if you've only been in it for five or 10 years, but I think anything past 10 years probably definitely have seen a, a drastic change in the things that we draw. Yeah, and I think what we draw in addition to how we draw it they all combine to create oh, yeah. the kind of the set of circumstances that we find ourselves in. So to set this conversation up, what I've got written down here is the generic question, why are we drawing so much? But it really has to do with what's driving it. Is it contractor request? Is it the client's desire to create a tighter set of documents for the control of pricing and construction? You know, the idea of limiting change orders and that sort of thing. Is it architectural vanity? Which I don't want to say that, but I know that I'm guilty of drawing things sometime because I should have prepared exactly how I wanted to say it. But the idea is that sometimes I want something done a very particular way. And so I detail and draw it maybe more than I need to because there's a certain sort of, I'm doubling down on what this is supposed to be. And I want to make sure that it turns out the way that I envision it to become. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you're really particular about in a sense of, like you say, wanting it to be a certain way. And I find that most of the time, those are things that are just probably maybe often done in a standard way, but you want to not have it done that way. So you go overboard detailing all of those aspects of it because you want it to be done a certain way. Now, I want to point out right from the get-go, this is not a show about pen weights. This is not me talking about (laughs) the time it takes to create drawings. This is really a conversation about bulk and density. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the clarity of the drawings. That's not what this show is. I'm sure we'll have one of those later. But this show has to do with how much it takes, at least our perception. Let's be kind to all the other constituents in this process and say, my perspective is the amount of drawings it takes to get done what we feel we have responsibility for in a way that is responsible. Okay, that's kind of the premise. Yeah, I think. So let's start off by just saying, what counts as a drawing? If we're going to talk about all the drawings we're making, let's make sure we're talking about what counts as a drawing. 
And if you think about drawings that are generated from the initial concept work through construction documents, really through construction administration, Mm. there are drawings and they differ in what their objective is and what gets used to create them and the amount of information contained within them all along the way, every step of the way from schematic design through design development, through construction documentation and in CA, construction administration. So I want to say for the people who aren't my age out there, but considering that we've talked to a certain extent that first couple of years I was out of school, I drew by hand. And I can tell you that our documents were not as exhaustive when you were drawing it by hand yeah. as they appear to be now. Mm-hmm. So you have to draw what would appear to be a seemingly obvious assumption that hand drawing was less than 2D drafting, which is then less than where we're at now, which is BIM models. Yeah. Building information, 3D models. Modeling. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it's because you couldn't just move stuff around, number one, when you were hand drawing. So like you drew it and that's kind of what it was. You didn't go, oh, I want to change this. I mean, it was a whole new drawing. So there was a, I don't know if it took longer, but it just, that's a reality. I still remember working in an office. It was an, an office that focused on historic renovations of hospitality projects. And there was a project here in Dallas. It was a hotel, like a 20-story hotel building. The entire architectural set of drawings for that project was 17 sheets. Yeah, to renovate that entire hotel. No, to build it from scratch. Oh, to build it. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. The original construction drawings were 17 sheets. Yeah. I should clarify, 17 architectural sheets. Mm. The whole set was probably 50 pages. Mm. And I go, well, that would never happen now. It'd be 50 architectural pages, yeah. Yeah, we'd have more pages than that just during the SD phase of the project. All right, so in addition to the types of drawings that each one of those phases requires us to create, is I think we need to throw renderings into this conversation to a certain extent. Because if we're talking about the constituents that use our drawings to do whatever it is they're going to do, clients are one of those user groups. And I made it through the last... Maybe it's a better way to say I made it through the first 20 years of my career not doing any renderings. (laughs) Like, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Now, we do a million renderings per project. Partly because it's an output of the process. We don't have to do really much special work Mm -hmm. to create them. Yeah, the ease of it is much greater. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want, like, a good one, we do have to put in a lot of extra work. Yeah. If I'm putting something in front of a client, it's not just a control shift print screen kind of situation. There's some additional entouraging that takes place. I still remember, and I wrote an article about it. I might bring this up later, but it was a blog post titled Renderings for Residential Design. And it had to do with how we're starting to use these in lieu of construction documents or like, you know, drafted drawings when we have meetings with clients, especially on our residential projects, to show them what the house might actually look like. And We get really specific. The materials get very specific. Mm -hmm. We're making sure we have like, oh, here's the exact plumbing fixture that we're going to have in this bathroom. I mean, it gets pretty specific in what we're doing. And partly because if you're going to tell a story that's specific, I don't know. You tell me if this is different. We used to not talk about, we'd go out of our way to not show materiality in models. We wouldn't show materialities in whatever kind of perspectives or renderings we were doing. We kind of really liked the white box product because 
we do want to have conversations where they go, well, I don't like that color brick. And you're like, eh, we don't know what the color brick is yet. It's just, that's just brick color. Mm-hmm. Which really the conversation we're having right now is about brick, not the color of the brick. And so we just wanted to remove that from the conversation. We showed everything as white boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it is anymore. Did you create a lot of renderings in your work when you were doing it? Oh, yeah. All the time. And they were always very specific as well. Mainly because and I think that's the reason why they've proliferated is because that's easier for the layperson to actually understand what you're trying to show them. Right. They don't really comprehend 2D stuff all that well. If I show you the elevation of your kitchen cabinets or of your break room area or classroom, you don't quite really understand it. But if I show you the three-dimensional model of that and it's rendered out and looks like it would be hopefully final product, then they have a better grasp of what they're really, I guess, buying into. I think that's one of the big reasons for the renderings, besides the ease of it. Yeah. And also, it's part of the moving from 2D drafting into building information modeling programs like Revit and like Vectorworks, is that we can use those models that we make. And I can cut a billion sections that I want. Mm -hmm. And just because I can, people kind of do. But then, you know, there was a phase, and I don't know, it hasn't gone, but it's definitely slowed down. I did a project that was a co-working space, and the two clients that I had, one was, she was very petite, and we had always been showing this open shelf above the open work environment where people could go fix their own coffee. And she was saying, yeah, that's what I want. And I go, well, I have some concerns. If you put the coffee cups the way this is currently shown, you're not going to be able to reach them. And she goes, no, I, th- I think it'd be fine. And I was like, all right, let's put these VR goggles on. And so she could stand up and move in the space and like see the controller in her hand. as she's, she's like, you're right, I can't reach these. This is not, we're going to have to lower this down a little bit. And it was a productive use of the technology because we're like, okay, we're going to lower this shelf by four inches so that you as one of the people that's going to be there every single day can reach these mugs. Can reach your coffee cup, yeah. But we had to change the design of the shelf because we had equipment that was under that shelf, which is what pushed it up to the height it was originally. So we had to reconfigure some things in order to lower that shelf. So we're not saying that these drawings are unilaterally unhelpful. It's just at what point is the expectation there that all of these exist and to what level do they exist? Since we kind of already started it, let's get into the client request. Do you think it's clients requesting a lot of drawings? No, I don't really think so, at least from my standpoint, because they don't even know what to request. I don't think it's a a client side. Now, maybe, I mean, if you're working with developers or people that do a lot of construction projects, maybe, but inexperienced client, I don't think they're demanding a whole lot of drawings. What about the idea that they want a tighter set of drawings to control? I don't want to get a bunch of change orders down the road. Yeah. Well, that I understand. There's that aspect, but I don't know that they're requesting more drawings, but they're just requesting a tighter set, which then maybe necessitates more drawings. Right. But yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying, how that that might be a way that they're doing that. But I don't know how much that's client driven versus that's our, the goal of the way that the industry has shifted, maybe being able to have those tighter sets. I don't know that that was ever client driven. I think it was more circumstantial or condition driven. You know, the old way, contractor would look at it and say, oh, yeah, and throw X number of dollars per square foot at whatever it was. And we are trying to be now more precise in those measures, right? And I think that's part of, that's wrapped up in this whole process. I don't want to get too far ahead or something if that's what we're talking about. No, no, no. I mean, contractors are going to come into this conversation to a certain extent. 
Yeah. But they're only able to do their job as well as the information that they have in front of them. And I will be the first one to concede that what we ask contractors to do at an earlier and earlier phase of the process is pretty remarkable. There is a project that I just got through working on not too long ago, and it was a $38 million office building. And they were putting together some pretty exhaustive pricing studies on this to go through with us and the owner when we were at the end of DD sets at 25% CD sets. I mean, they kept going back through this process. Mm-hmm. Part of it was the owner goes, I want to get it from 38 down to 33. So the contractor's working with us and we have a really good collaborative relationship with them. And they start saying, well, this is where the pinch points are. This is, they might say, we need more information in this area because we're just licking our finger and sticking it in the wind to find out what we should be pricing for this. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of it, they have enough historic data on the current market. That's kind of oxymoronic to say historic data on the current market, but. Well, on current trends, yeah. They do this for a lot of projects. They understand what things cost. Yes. To where they have the ability to give us some pretty good insight. But we all know that there's going to be some, I don't want to say oopsies, but some, we didn't catch that or we didn't understand this the way that you've now articulated it now that the drawings have developed further. We know that happens. If I'm buying a bed, as an example, I want to make sure that when the bed shows up, I don't find out that I I need to buy another third of a bed in order to get a bed. They want to have enough information in the documents. So they might be saying, you need more of these drawings. They're not saying that, but they are saying, we want enough information in the documents so that we can avoid things like change orders. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where they fall into it. That's really true from a commercial standpoint. I would say it's happened a few times, but one in an exhaustive way. The project I did up in Wisconsin. That client wanted us to draw everything, and they were very specific about it. And we drew flashing details, shapes of metal flashing. This is on a residential project. That's a residential project. As a contradiction, yeah. Yeah, they wanted it on there because, I mean, I could just say follow manufacturer's standard details for these conditions. Mm. And the problem is, is most of the contractors up there didn't build the type of project that they were wanting and that we were documenting. So there was some concern that they wouldn't be able to provide either accurate pricing or an understanding of what it's going to take to build it unless we actually showed them what it was. That whole project was a really interesting learning experience because that was the same project where we put shadows on the drawings. And I wrote an article about it and people lost their mind. They're like, you don't put shadows on construction drawings because they're like, you don't build them. You don't build shadows. So why would you document it? And I go, well, we just asked the contractor what they preferred. We showed them both and they said, we think this is easier to read for our people. So give us that, Yeah, which isn't unreasonable to say, what do you want? And they give us an answer. And so we give that to them. Mm -hmm. But that client in that case, they said, we want you to draw everything. And I can tell you, it didn't really solve any of the problems that you kind of typically run up against when you have somebody building a style of project that they're not familiar with. I'm not saying they didn't read the drawings. I'm saying... That maybe the comprehension, since everything was kind of a, this is, we've never done this before. I'm not sure that all the extra documentation helped them solve problems before they were standing out in the field doing it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I think that's tied into that idea of a couple of things we talked about with uh, just throwing a per square foot number at something because I've done it a hundred thousand times. And also the idea of 
standardized details, but we're going to draw them to be different. And so if I'm used to flashing a roof this way, that's the only way I've flashed a roof. Looking at a drawing of something new is probably not going to help me in the field do that flashing any better. I think as an installer, I still may run into the same problems because I haven't ever done it before. So it doesn't really, the drawing helps, but it's not going to, like you say, head off every single problem because really it's a matter of application and not so much of looking and seeing what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, that kind of flies in the face to how we started this conversation to a certain extent. You know, the idea that, hey, what I'm drawing here really matters. And I want to make sure that you understand what I'm asking for so that you've got yourself in the best position possible to actually do it. And we would draw these things and it still would not necessarily click. Yeah. It wasn't like a, it wasn't binary. It's like they did either got them all or they got none of them. Yeah. There were just misses that happened. And you would say, it's right here in the drawings. And they would have this look in their eye like, there's a drawing. I didn't even think to look. Mm. Because in, in their world, they weren't used to getting that level of documentation. For sure. So yeah, they actually yelled at us a few times for like, quit sending me paper. <laughs> like they looked at it and they go, there's so many drawings. Quit sending us where we feel like we're printing out trees. Yeah. Go back to like when I looked at getting a house built when I was kind of first bought my company and stuff like early in my career, I had a lot in, that I was going to buy and was trying to get some pricing on it, on the house that I designed for it. It was probably, it might have been 15 sheets worth of drawings total. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I got overpriced on everything because they're like, man, this is way too many drawings. We need four sheets. Right. Elevations, plan, and a slab. And I, you know, I had interior elevations and I had some framing plan, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, uh, nope, we're going to charge you more because there's more sheets here. Because it's not what we would normally do, even though I was just detailing out pretty typical stuff. Okay, so let's jump ahead and talk about contractors and are they requesting additional drawings or are they not? You know, we had a conversation and I talked about this as well. In fact, there was an article that I wrote on the website a couple of years ago, three years ago, and it was very similarly titled to what today's episode is and it's Do Architects Draw Too Much? Mm -hmm. And I was really mad when I wrote that article. And part of what made me mad was we were doing this project down in San Antonio and we were making very reasonable decisions. We were not, there were no warped core 10 wall detail show. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. was nothing crazy that was going on in this house. And we're having a really, really hard time, A, getting contractors to look at it at all. I think we went through about 18 different contractors who didn't even look at our drawings. But as soon as they're like, oh, it's not a builder set and I can't just basically do whatever I do. All the time? That, yeah, that my people can do blindfolded? Yeah. Yeah, like you're going to tell me what windows to put in? Out. That was a real thing that we ran up against. Mm -hmm. And all the people that were willing to look at that stuff, they're like, yeah, we love doing that kind of stuff. But we don't look at them unless it's $1,000 a square foot or up. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, what, is, what is happening here? A giant gap in there between... Yes. Manufacturer production kind of homes and super high-end custom homes. Yeah, there's yeah. this huge swath in the middle that was underrepresented. Uh, yeah. So we finally got a group, and they looked like they did nice work. And they priced out this project. And this is the thing. To this day, I still, I mean, maybe once or twice, I don't know, maybe once every six months, I have a dream about this project. Because the pricing came in absolutely ridiculous. Like, it should have been 
upwards of, I mean, like max 400 bucks a foot. Again, I built a house not too different from this in terms of its finish out and its execution three years earlier for barely $300 a foot. Mm -hmm. And this one I thought was even simpler. And they came back at over $650 a square foot, I think was the number. Yeah. And the owners were like, what is going on? And I had to tell them, don't do this. This is crazy. There's something with the market right now. And of course, this is when COVID was going on. So I, I get that supply chain issues contributed to that process. But when we went down there to, we spent a day with the contractor going through all the pricing. In this article that I wrote, the whole thing, I was mad because I felt like we were being punished because we drew too many drawings. Mm -hmm. To your point, they looked at this and they thought, you mean I have to actually do exactly what you're telling me? Like you're dimensioning things to an eighth of an inch? Just like how perfect do I got to be? <laughs> and at the time I wrote this down, it was a 4,200 square foot house. And I had currently, as of this pricing exercise, had 252 individual drawings. And that's between wall sections, details, elevations, plans too. That's a lot. 252 is a lot. Yeah, yeah. And part of it, the owner had, has no responsibility in this, but he was very specific. So he's one of these people that wanted us to draw a lot of this stuff simply because he wanted to make sure, like, I got a, a bag of money and I can't have them coming back and asking for a 0.25 bag of money beyond this one because I don't got it. Mm -hmm. So their request to us was to draw enough. And he was very specific. He would send us back extremely specific notes. I mean, this guy knew how to read drawings. So our drawings were very, very thorough. And I went down there and the mistakes in the pricing, like at one point he had one cabinet in this house. This, this kills me. He had one cabinet in his house and it was like in the front foyer of the house. And it was where key drop was. You could hang up seasonal coats, put your boots in there. And there was a closet for them to put a vacuum in the middle of the house, that kind of thing. It was just a big cabinet. Mm -hmm. And he wanted it to be, have like a lacquer finish on it. That's what he wanted. Mm. And I was like, okay. So we designed and detailed and called it out to have a lacquer finish on it. And as we're going through the pricing, I'm seeing that this contractor has all the millwork in like bedrooms two and three and four as having lacquer finishes. Now keep in mind, these were rod with a shelf above it. Yeah. Minimum stuff. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, why is the closet in bedroom three? $9,000. And they're like, well, you wanted a special finish on it. I go, I didn't actually. In fact, if you turn to drawing eight on page 6.03, we have it elevated and called out for it to be pink grade. And you go, we drew it. We drew it. And they either just go like, eh, we're not doing this or they didn't pay attention to it or whatever it was. But 100%, we got punished for the amount of drawings that we did. And I don't know if that ended up manifesting itself and that they just stopped looking or what. It was a problem for us. This article, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes because it's an interesting piece because of the amount of elaboration that goes into it. But I was really pissed. I mean, I think I find that in reality, I think that there are construction teams or contractors kind of fall into two categories when it comes to that. There are those that don't want that many drawings. like They want minimal amounts of drawings because you know their goal is to do what they've done or rip through the drawing sets to price it out, but also planning on going through the construction process in a fashion that they typically do. And those that actually appreciate you going to the point of detailing really specific things. 
Because I've had both, actually, to be quite honest. Some tell me well, that we didn't need to see that detail. Others say, I'm glad you provided that detail because we would have done something completely different or that's not how we normally do it. And it helped us fixate in on, oh, how this needs to be. I, mean, I think there's kind of two camps and it. I don't know that there's any real clear division. I think I've seen both in commercial work on big projects, small projects, it doesn't really matter. I think it just happens to be construction contractor, who their team is, or their, just how they operate. A hundred percent. In fact, I called one of the guys, I work from home today, and around five o'clock, I buzzed him up and I said, hey, can I ask you a quick question? And, and I told him what we were talking about tonight. And I wanted to make sure that the position that I was going to articulate, that I wasn't so far out on an island as to paint a picture that was not representative of the realities that might exist in my own office. And it had to do with, there's a difference. There's absolutely a difference between residential contractors and commercial contractors. And I'm not saying that one likes drawings and one doesn't because I've had residential, like that one project I just told you about in San Antonio, I could have had a contractor who would have built a fantastic house off of a third of those drawings. Because mm -hmm. he's one of the best contractors I know, and we have a great working relationship. And I know to the quality level that he builds to, and so I don't have to tell him a lot of stuff. A lot of times when we document stuff, at least when I document stuff, it changes in my mind based on who I'm working with and whether or not I know them. If I know the standard to which they build, sometimes I feel like I don't need to tell them how to, I don't need to tell them, hey, you need to gang light switches together. Yeah. Otherwise, you walk into the room and you're like, why do I have four light switches that are all six inches apart from one another? And somebody goes, well, you didn't tell me not to do that. And, and I'm not trying to make like it sound like contractors are dumb. That's not what it is. It's sometimes it's just, it's not unreasonable if they don't do something the way you wanted them to do it and you didn't tell them. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. But if I know what I'm going to get from somebody, then I don't need to tell them because I already know what I'm going to get. Yeah. That's part of what it is. So when we were having a conversation about, commercial documents. And I said, is your perception that the amount of drawings that we're producing to build the same size and same budget projects has gotten more in the last several years? He goes, it's not even close how different it is. But what makes it interesting is that I could have four PMs in my office run the exact same project on separate tracks and they'll all produce a different set of drawings. Some people draw more than others mm. as a course of what they think is important. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's not necessarily us thinking, like the contractor's not going, hey, you need to give us more drawings. We don't have that. They don't come and say, give us more drawings. They might ask for clarification. So more drawings are created. The idea that, hey, we do more drawings because we don't want a thousand RFIs. Yeah. So in an effort to stave off the avalanche of questions that happen downstream, Let's go ahead and answer what we think these questions could be ahead of time. Yeah. And if we don't do it ahead of time, well, we think, well, we'll eventually we're going to draw them because they're going to ask questions. We might get bad submittals. We might get RFIs asking us to clarify something. So we have to do some additional documentation to bring some clarity. In the owners, nobody wants to be the guy that has to go to the owner and say, well, this is a change order because we didn't tell them how to do something. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say that rarely in our commercial work, does somebody say, well, we didn't put any money in there for it? Contingency, yeah. No, I'm not even talking about contingencies. Like if I draw something and I, like I had this problem once, they said, well, you didn't tell me what it was, so I didn't put any money in here for it. 
And I go, out of all the things on planet Earth, you knew the one thing that it wasn't was nothing. Like anything yeah, yeah. would have been more correct than what you did. Pricing out cardboard right there would have been better. Yeah. Yes. Right. So commercial contractors don't do that. In my experience, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. That they go, we didn't know that you wanted doors here, so we didn't price any. That doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, unless they just completely miss something, which that does happen, but yeah, not as a regular thing. It's not, doesn't occur that often. Yeah. Because we're going to have this topic that's going to come up here in pretty short order, according to our editorial run sheet. And it has to do with delegated design, which is something that I was not familiar with. You and I have talked about this in shows here pretty recently. That until I started kind of really diving into the deep end of commercial work, delegated design had never entered my radar screen before. Yeah. And you said you're very familiar with what delegated design looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll have people in our office, pretty senior PMs that will say, we draw design intent, we don't draw systems. And, oh, I, okay. I mean, I, I can understand that as a philosophy. Yeah. But I go, it's going to come back at you at some point and delegated design starts to figure into that because you're really... He's saying, look, we're telling you what direction to go. You're the experts in this. So we're saying, you know what we want. You know what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to put your people on it. Tell us how this all works. We're collaborating together. Well, in things where like delegated design is concerned, it's the idea of like it's removing drawings from what we have to do. If I do delegated design, I do fewer drawings. That's kind of the premise of it. Someone else is figuring this out for me because they're the experts. Yeah. So if I use stairs as an example, to really bring home the idea of delegated design. I might want to detail the monumental stairs in the lobby of my building to an excruciating level of detail. But I won't detail the egress fire stairwells. Any of the fire stairs, yeah. That's right, because they don't need me to do that. In fact, they probably prefer if I don't do it. Here's the stairs, this is what we need, here's where they start, here's where they end, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, get out of the way. And how many times, and we can reference our you know, the people that advertise on this show, like one of the things they all talk about is we're here to help architects do stuff. So if there's something you need, just let us know. We'll help solve that problem for you. Mm -hmm. Which honestly, it's one of those things that I think architects don't take as much advantage of as they're able to. And if you look into the Petersons of the world, the construction specialties of the world, it's like they live for that stuff. They're like, we want to help you. You just got to ask us. Yeah. And construction specialties, you know that thing about the napkin sketch? Just bring us your napkin sketch. We'll help figure out, like, we'll make it, whatever it is, which is a pretty cool thing that companies do. It's a level of documentation and problem solving that we can move off our plate. So that's one reason to say, well, in that capacity, our building's becoming more complicated, but I got more people willing to help me solve those problems. Yeah. I think the issue depends on, for me, where that happens in the process. Because if it happens too late, then that's when it causes problems. And those gotchas and hiccups that contractors and clients don't like when they're like, oh. For example, I've had that happen several times with fire suppression systems where you delegate that out and, oh, well, guess what? It turns out the, there's not enough water pressure. So now we've got to have a giant pump station and all this other stuff to get water pressure to run the fire sprinkler system. And you're like, well, yeah, but the project's under construction. The budget's already set or what, you know, those kinds of things. And it's, that's when it can get problematic. But that's a whole different design delegation. A conversation. I think you're right. I'm going to go back to how you started off. Is contractors don't ask for more drawings. They ask for more clarity and essentially more information. And those 
PMs that say they do design intent and not assemblies or systems, I think sometimes that can come back and get you because I think it's a little bit more than design intent because there's too much interpretation looseness in intent. And I think that's sometimes where we get bit by not having enough documentation. Okay. That's a premise. Could they just be hedging their bet? They're like, I could guess that you need them and draw them, or I can wait until you ask for them and then prepare them. Yeah. And so what I could guess on, I'm going to be right some of the time. And there's going to be stuff that you don't need that I will have spent time doing that you don't need. Sure. So why don't I just step back and let you tell me what you want? The only problem is, is when that happens, when in the process that happens. If it happens during CA, then it's always like, oh, well, it's a change order and the da da da. And then that's what makes clients angry. You know, it's funny. I asked that specific question because that's, I went back and this is Jason Hansen, one of the principals in the office. Mm. And I came back and I'm like this. I go, yeah, but the problem is, is maybe by the time they asked for me to give them that information, A, B, and J are already done. And so now I have fewer options on how to solve that problem. Oh, yeah. And he goes, that does happen. But contractors have gotten so good at this that normally when it comes up, we still have all the options and still in front of us. Like they're asking these questions pretty early on. And that might be part of the difference between the private development work that we're working on and the contractors that work on those projects. Mm. Or they don't ask and you show up on the job site and go, well, that's not what I wanted at all. They just did it. They just did it. They just did it. That's the worst. But it's hard for me to have this conversation without thinking about the idea of the liability of it all or the responsibility. I don't know. I know some contractors that want more drawings because they don't want to be responsible for certain things. They want to put those decisions on us to say, this is how the architect said to do it. But other things, of course, they want less drawings because then they want to be responsible for the installation application because they want to do it the way they've done it 100,000 times before. Sure. I don't think there's a clear cut trajectory of it, but I really think a lot of the overdrawing, excessive drawing, if we're going to say that, that we do now either comes from a couple of sources of one, it's so easy to do, like we talked about earlier, that you can cut 500 sections so it's easier to produce drawings. And then two, the idea that somebody wants to be able to place liability on on us for making certain decisions, which I don't think is always the best consequence. But I think that somehow, sometimes why we draw excessively is because we want to make sure we're covering all our bases and the contractors want us to cover all our bases. Do you think that's more true when you're working on projects in a competitive bid environment? So if your lowest bidder gets the project that... Yeah, probably. You have way more exposure to that than people who aren't in that environment. Yes and no, because I even felt the same when I was doing essentially construction manager work where they're in it at the very beginning. It's still the same thing though, is it's a And it may just be the work that I was doing because there's a lot of litigiousness in public sector work sometimes. And maybe that's why it seems that way to me. Because even in, again, those situations where the contractors are partnered from 15% in or something, that they're still wanting us to document things more because they want to have, I mean, it's almost like CYA. They want to be able to point to something and go, oh, look, this is what happened. Or this is what the architect said to do. And if it's something that falls apart or doesn't last long. Even if there's installation trouble, they want to be able to point back. Yeah. I mean, it's not all of them. Again, I'm not saying it's everyone for sure. I ran across that more than I would care to when I was doing commercial work. Well, you know, at the job I had two jobs ago, we did four public sector. I mean, this is that firm where we were almost exclusively a residential firm. And for a while, we said, eh, 
let's do some fire stations. They're kind of fun. And we did yeah. four of them and they were awesome. They were a ton of fun. We didn't have any problems. Not at all. That same time we ended up taking on a different project and it went about as bad as you can imagine a project going. And it really stemmed from the fact that this happened so long ago. I'm, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the website or if I've ever, I mean, this is more of a like in-person story. It was like a $3 million renovation to a, an existing, there was a lawsuit, so I'm trying not to. Mm, yeah. We were not named in it. We got out of this because it wasn't on us. But the contractor that won it missed that there was a second building that was a rider to this one. Like in order, because everyone was so busy. Yeah. They're like, here's this $3 million project. But in order to get the $3 million project, you got to do this $450,000 reno to our, this building. Other little space or something, yeah. Yes. And they completely missed that there was this other building. And they were the low-cost bidder, so they got the project. And we spent the next two and a half years of them trying to recover $450,000. $50,000, yeah. Of lost wages. And we ended up going through like five site superintendents. We went through three different project PMs, managers. yeah. Uh. I mean, it was a yeah. disaster yeah. of a project. And the amount of brain drain we went through, I was like, we've already solved this problem three times. <laughs> and that was one of the guys. We had a, a handrail. We had a rail. We, there was a ramp. And we put a new divider handrail on it. And in the middle of it was a woven wire mesh screen. Sure. Yeah. You know, just like a yeah. generic metal screen. Mm -hmm. And the contractor didn't see where we had notated what it was or that it was in the specifications. specifications also yeah and he said well you didn't tell us what it was so we didn't put any money in there for it so that was literally the case and i was like mm. like you said you could have put cardboard in there and you would have been closer i mean like here's a picture of it here's details of it you knew it was something here it is you can see it it's right there you see it on this page so how do you of all the things it could be you know it's not zero yeah so I would try to have the argument go, all right, so maybe there's some clarification needed when you're putting your pricing together. And you didn't ask that question. Okay, I'm not expecting perfection here. So why don't you tell me what you put into the bid to cover what we showed here? And I'll tell you what it is that we wanted. And then we'll deal with the discrepancy between the two. And he goes, we put nothing in because you didn't tell us what it was. I was like, that might actually be the dumbest thing I've heard. <laughs> And one of the worst arguments to support your position. Your position, yeah. Imaginable. <laughs> yeah. So, so that job, I learned a lot on that job. And this was, I was a pretty young man. Yeah. I mean, I might have been 10 years out of school when this happened. Yeah. I'm glad 99.9% .9 of the jobs I've worked on in my career are not like that one. Yeah. And I have not had to work with contractors. Like, and I still remember the name of the construction firm, too. It's bah, 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 bah. <laughs> Again, I think it, it depends on your market sector and what you're doing. Because even right now, you're doing a lot of private development. Those are probably driven with teams that are already in place or relationships between developers and contractors and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You start doing public sector work that doesn't necessarily work that way, and it's all up for grabs. And you can run into those things where you have a great relationship with a client and everything's gone great through the design process and then it all just falls apart during construction because of the contractor and their attitudes or their skill levels or their the way they treat you, the way that they talk about what you're doing. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But I think tying that back to the drawings, it's still, to me, 
in my experience, an issue of, of liability and responsibility for certain things. And like you said, if you don't put it and they don't catch it, who's responsible for that? Sure. Then that just causes all kinds of tension. And so I think sometimes we excessive draw to hopefully avoid those situations, even though I think once they happen, you really can't. Once it gets to that point, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, even though you drew it and it was there, and even maybe if it was called out or if it wasn't called out, but it was shown and they didn't do it. Like once you get to that point, it doesn't really matter. There's no good solution and your drawings couldn't have saved it anyway. Yeah. Even though they were there. I think our tendency to draw more is because of those things of really trying to basically CYA everything that we can to a certain extent. Yeah. You know what? I've been trying to avoid the whole CYA as a proof for why we would or wouldn't do something. Yeah. But. And I know that it's a not saying it or not putting words to it does not make it go away. Me pretending that that's not a a consideration is ridiculous, right? Because it clearly is. But my understanding of this is I still remember something as simple as when I renovated my shower. And I did drawings on it. I didn't do details. I just did elevations. (laughs) Yeah. And the contractor came in, the guy who did it, nice guy. Didn't do some things the way that I wanted. And he didn't quite follow the drawings. I mean, like, when I say I did the drawings, when I elevated it, I've written blog posts about how misaligned tile drives me crazy. Yeah. So I sized everything out so I could get all these tiles to align. I wanted the curb of the shower to be this height because I wanted it to fall on the, the grout line. And he missed a bunch of stuff. And I talked about it. And I got a lot of comments like, what a psychopath you are. And I yeah. was like, what? I mean, at some point, yeah. I go, is it crazy that I, I know what I want and I should just assume that you're going to do it and I'm wrong for saying, well, that wasn't it. I mean, I did draw it. And so me pointing out that this is not done the way it should be made me a psychopath. And these were other contractors and tile people going, this guy, I hope he charged you a billion dollars to do your shower. <laughs> And I go, he did. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of feel like you can't win. I mean, that's part of the, I wrote it in my notes and I decided to skip over it in the entry because in the very beginning I wrote, I go, this is as much a show about complaining about where we find ourselves as any sort of critical discourse on this subject. I don't know where it's going to go. And I don't know that there's a right answer. This is more of a, me preaching to the choir, you know, you and I are on the pulpit here yeah, saying, this is what we think and this is what's happened to us. And I fully expect the people that are in this business that are listening to this episode to have one hand on the steering wheel and another hand in the air going, amen, because <laughs> they've all been there too. And I've been really careful to try to say, I'm not suggesting that somebody's wrong. I'm just saying it's a moving target. I don't know what the right amount of drawings are. I know that they've gotten more and more, but our buildings have gotten complicated. People need more information. There's more integration happening. I got more consultants on my projects now than I ever did. There's a lot happening. Yeah, again, I think there's so many conditions that have changed across the board in what we do and how easy it is to make more drawings and then what is expected from contractors even. I mean, I know it would be kind of, maybe I've been getting it up on a little bit, but 
the expectations of what services they provide have been crazily increased as well, which is why I think some of that extra drawing falls back onto us because you know, they're not allowed to really have loose budgets anymore. When it, everything's got to be yeah. crossed and dotted and, and like it's so data-driven almost to the point that there's no forgiveness room for what they do anymore either, which you know, when I first started, there was a lot of forgiveness room. I mean, they could be like, yeah, we'll cover it, we'll figure it out. And that doesn't really happen anymore because they're getting ground down almost as much as we are. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, let's change this $38 million to $33 million because we got to do it. That doesn't necessarily fall on us. It falls on them to figure out how to make some of that stuff happen. So I'm not trying to blame it on them. I'm not trying to blame it on us. I think, it, like you said, it's a moving target and it's so based in the condition of the economics of what's going on, the project type, the I mean, so many variables that impact that. But I think in the end, it's not wanting to omit something that could cause problems. So there's a little bit of hedging our bets in that regard. But then also people wanting us to provide more because they've got to be more specific in the stuff that they're doing. All of the data and everything's gotten so much more drilled down and narrowly focused, I think, is what's impacting it a lot, at least from the way I look at it. I would agree. I think that everybody's being pushed on from all sides in this process. Yeah. I think that if I, let's see if I can articulate this. If I gave a contractor a eight page set with minimal information and just kind of a general direction, you know, something that met the building department's requirements to pull a permit. Yeah. A permit set. Yeah. Which is not a lot. And I just let him to his methodologies, it'd probably be fine. But I probably won't leave him to, I'll go, what did you do that for? Yeah. Why isn't this over here? And like, so I know that part of my expectation, what I document is to try to find some commensurate level of expectation with documentation. Mm -hmm. I draw as much clarity as I hope to expect or see in the finished product and the things that I think there's latitude and wiggle and freedom for them to do what they do. I don't draw it or I don't go to the same level of documentation as I would for something that I go, this matters. This is different. This is atypical. This is important. This is the monumental stair, not the fire stair. Mm -hmm. right, this matters differently. So I'm going to document it differently. There's got to be some high ground that we can both stand on at the same time. Yeah. It might not be the same piece of high ground. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. I I'm you. not higher than they are. We're at the same level, but yeah. we're picking different problems that are of value or of concern or of interest to us. So I think this is a moving target. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I don't think I could say this is what you should expect if you're doing fill in the blank or paying fill in the blank. Yeah, I agree. If I had to say, I, I don't know, because I'm pretty guilty of, of drawing a lot. I typically tend to overdraw. You were saying all that stuff, and I was thinking about this instance of like, if I've got a wall that's pretty continuous, except for somewhere along that wall, there's one different condition in that space. Well, I'm drawing both of those wall sections because I can, and then I'm typically detailing the one that's the same everywhere, and then I'm pulling out details for that one-off position that's happening in four foot of it or something. But I'm drawing both of those full wall details, and then I'm calling out those specific locations and because that's an ease, and to me, that provides some clarity. But I probably don't need to do that, but because of the way technology works and it's easier, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm guilty of that kind of stuff. Well, I think that's the position that erring on the side of being overprepared and dealing with the consequences 
seems like a better path to take because anything else seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would love it if we could just be like, oh, here's elevations and plans. Go. Yeah. And that would make our job so much. You could design for forever. Yeah. Up until the last minute and go, yes, here it is. Boom. But that gets us back to the, well, apparently we don't really care how they build it because that's the part we're abdicating. Yeah. And I've had contractors tell me that they're like, I'll make it look like what you want to look like, but don't tell me how to build it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not really comfortable with that as a <laughs> unilateral position. So, well, this is an ongoing conversation. This is always classic architects at the counter in the bar chatting topic. So I don't know that it'll ever go away. But we do have an interesting hypothetical to end the mm -hmm. show, I think. It could be super boring. Maybe. It depends on if we're like, yeah, that's what I would do too. And then we're done. So Andrew came up with a big list of stuff and we're going through it. I got my hands on a book of 3001 Would You Rather questions. And I flipped through it and I was like, eh, meh, meh. ooh, like that's a different one. Yeah. But this time we're going to do a hypothetical question. And Andrew came up with it. So I'm going to read it, but I think I got to go first. I got to give the answer because it's your question. All right. And I simplified it just for the statement. And then there's some caveats to this because Andrew's doing the same thing I'm doing. You did it. You said, yeah, but you yeah, can't yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. You can't blah, blah, blah. Because that's reasonable. So the question in its barest form is, could you give up electricity in return for $100,000 a month? And you have to go at least six months before you receive any money. And I go, that's the gist of it. You can't get electricity from somewhere else. Basically, you're saying there's no electrical power in your life whatsoever in any capacity. Yeah. And if you can live essentially off grid in that capacity, you get $100,000 a month. And I'm going to tell you, yes, I would do that in a heartbeat. That is my dream. If somebody wants to make this happen right now, I'm in. Right now? Uh -huh. Yeah, because... When we think about all the kind of stuff that you and I talk about, like, oh, where would you rather go? I'm always like, put me in the middle of nowhere. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I have all the skills to be a successful homesteader. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea that I would get my heat from logs that I chopped and now are burning. You know what? I'd be perfectly happy not having social media, oh, not yeah. posting yeah. on Instagram, not responding to email. Like, I don't need it. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I don't have a job anymore. My job is to not use electricity and I'm getting really well paid. In fact, you could take that $100,000 and make it like $20,000 and I'd still be <laughs> super excited about it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I, 100% I would do that. Now, you had another thing in there that kind of said, and if you can go a year, you get $2 million. I left that part out because mm -hmm. I was like, don't need it. That doesn't, that didn't move the needle from a decision-making process for me. Interesting. Because if I'm getting that money, that's the rest of my life, baby. Oh, I got you. You just completely. That's it. I don't need, I, there is no, uh, I don't need to endure <laughs> it for a little while until I get a big lump of cash. And then I come back to the, no, I, no I'm out, gone. Uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. I don't. Mm. You just do it forever if that was the case. Interesting. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I would do that. Ugh. I think I'd be super happy about it too. Well, I would be, and I tell you that my thought process on it was really about this. The reason I added the years, because I could picture myself doing that in my house, my current house. Man, I just cut the electricity. It's fine. Except for the 
heat. I don't mind the cold and I can cut logs and make a fire, but when it's 110 degrees in the summer and I don't have any air conditioning, that's the one part that I don't know I could handle. I'm that soft, <laughs> I guess if you want to call it, <laughs> that gave me the hesitation, which is why I was like, okay, if I could pick the six months and I could do October to March, <laughs> sure, payday. But the whole year to have to live through June, July, August, September, ah, man, I don't know. That's hard saying I'm in the same place I'm at. Now, if I could say, all right, well, you can do it in Colorado. Well, okay, fine. But that was what gave me the hesitation was the air conditioning because it's just, it's so hot. I don't know that I could manage. I've read a lot of stuff that says that that would be a struggle for people who are used to it, but you'd acclimate. Your body would respond to that. At some point, but man, it would be miserable for that month or two. And I would just be like, ah. Well, I don't think you could stay in your current house, number one, because your current house isn't set up. You would end up building some small place. So you open up the doors and the windows, get some air moving through there or something. Yeah. I'd be more worried about bugs than I am. Ooh, it's hot. I, well, I guess if I had my doors open, but I still had screens and stuff. I'm not worried about bugs. It, for me, it was just the air conditioning stuff or even, not even that, just the air movement. Yeah. That's what I would want. It's the air movement part. And I go, man, if I'm protecting myself from bugs, is it going to cut down on the air movement? Yeah, well, or that if there's no air movement, because it's not always a wind. There would be days where it would just be- Which would happen. Stale, hot. Be still. And I just thought- mm. Yeah. The real concern for me was refrigeration. <laughs> just living off summer sausage. <laughs> I mean, how many cured meats and root vegetables? Exactly, yeah. Potatoes, that's it. That's what I got. Yeah. So one of the questions I had is, now there's some logistics to this, because part of it is suggests, like in my fantasy for this no electrical life that I'm leading now, which I'm still on board with. I'm still very excited about this. Can I just walk into town? Yeah. I mean, I can drive a car. Yeah. Can I drive a car? Or I can ride a bike. It's fine. It's new Bob. I'm riding a bike. I'm riding a bike into town. I'm going to buy whatever I need that's refrigerated, yeah. like that day. Yeah, I think so. I'll just go into town and get it. I don't need to store it up or I'm going to dig a deep hole or, you know, whatever. Ice I'm chest, yeah. Ice yeah. delivered. Because I'm rolling in the cash now. I think I could solve that problem. There certainly would be some inconveniences. Hot water. Mm -hmm. I got to like build a fire and boil water and- Pour it in the tub if I'm going to take a warm bathing. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, there's a guy who has Parkinson's. He's out in the middle of nowhere and he has a- like a TikTok account or I don't know. I don't see it there. I see it on Instagram reels. And he posts these crazy videos. He went from like a couple of people following to like a bajillion people follow him now. And he did a post. He's like, pretty sure I got scurvy, you know, and he's <laughs> like, he's in full on Parkinson. Like mm. he did a post. He goes, I don't think I'm going to survive this winter. I'm just letting y'all know right now. Oh, wow. He's eroding pretty good. Yeah. And he's out there by himself. And so he talks a little bit about how he lives from time to time. And he goes, I've run out of supplies. So all I have is I got a lot of bacon, but I don't have any of this and that. And somebody in the comments said, can somebody with some drones go and drop this guy some stuff? And he came back and goes, no, 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 no. I don't want anything. Don't send me anything. Yeah. Postcards. You can send me postcards. Interesting. And then he came back later and he goes, okay, I made a mistake. Everybody in town hates me now because I have 13 million people follow this account. And I just told them all to send me postcards. <laughs> you know, he's out in some small town on an island. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> So it's pretty interesting. And he seems like a really genuine, nice human being. Yeah. But he, he ain't living the high life, but he's like, I love it. That idea of that level, I'd say that disconnect, he's being entertained with his cell phone. There's some of that that's certainly going on. Yeah. The other thing I thought about that why this might be difficult 
is I don't want to be a hermit. I don't want to be isolated. So I'd have to convince, could you convince somebody else Mm. to do this with you? Yeah, maybe. You know? But again, you could go to town, you could see friends. I mean, I'm not saying you could not do that stuff. It would be your personal situation, living situation where there was none. So like you say, go to go to town and go to the grocery store. I mean, there's air conditioning, electricity and stuff there. I mean, I don't think you could escape it. It would just be that you would have limited interaction with it. Yeah. You're not saying I can't go over, like I go into town because I'm not a hermit and I have my one date a week with my honey and we go to her place and there's air conditioning and I watch TV. Yeah. I don't know. That one, that one seems iffy. Is but... that something I can do? I, it's not portable. Yeah. It seems like it ruins yeah, it. It, it ruins the whole point, I think. So. Unless it's something like that, you'd have to put a limit on it. You got one hour a week that you can do that. <laughs> in that case, though, it would be like you'd spend that hour in the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. It would, you'd have to limit it in some way. Because I said, you can't borrow it from anybody. You can't just turn your electricity off and be like, oh, I'm stealing my neighbor's Wi-Fi. No, it's, it's all out. Yeah, you're done. I think I could do it. Part of me would like to do that. I'm with you. It sounds really enticing, other than the heat. And I guess maybe after a couple of months, you get used to it. Or maybe that's what you do. It would start in the summer. It was so miserable. <laughs> and then when it cooled off, you'd be like, oh, this is so great. And by the time it rolled around to the next heat wave, your whole body would be used to not having that. Well, that'd be the next level of dialogue about this. Is a, This is going to sound very big-headed. I got enough money in the bank that I can go move somewhere and I can probably buy something. I don't have to do this where I live now. Yeah. I can go somewhere else. Or I can cash out my 401k and I'm not worried about it because- I'm going to get paid, yeah, a hundred thousand. A hundred grand. It won't take me that long before I surpass what I've got in my 401k (laughs) here, right? So that's not really a a limiting consideration for me. Yeah. So the next level conversation, which won't be for this one, it'll be when we're sitting at a counter having a beer, is to go, where would you do that? Would you put someplace that's temperate that has some temperature- year round that you can handle yeah or do you go for all four seasons you're like yeah it's going to get warm but it's also going to get cold and i'm all right with that and yeah yeah because different skill sets start to kick in if you're in a place that's going to get three feet or 36 feet of snow over the course of three how much wood can you chop in the good time to burn fire that's right yeah it's going to be different yeah but then again you know and i sit there and think because this is a conversation that i don't think it's unreasonable to have with somebody if I took away your smartphones and say no TV and no telephone for you, how are you going to entertain yourself? I bet you're going to not have a problem finding time cutting wood. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You yeah, know, there's yeah. all these things, these chores that you're like, I'm not going to do them just because I need to do them for survival. I'm going to do them because I need something to do. I got nothing else to do. Yes. I'm digging ditches and farming and doing all kinds of stuff because, you know, why not? Yeah, because I have nothing to do and this is cool and I can do it better. And I didn't know how to grow corn and now I do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in on this. And like I said, if anybody out there wants to actually fund this for me, (laughs) ring me up. I'm your boy. We're taking sponsors for that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to say that this is a wrap to today's show. Thanks for being with us today for episode 143. Architectural drawings, excessive or essential. We'd like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Love the show so much you never want to miss an episode? Well, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. We're available on all the major platforms and wherever you find podcasts. So come on and join our gang and get notified every two weeks when we publish a captivating new episode. 
While you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star, that's just the right amount rating. And to get all the visuals, links, and additional content for this indispensable episode, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com. Check out all the other blog posts, episodes, extra info, and all the website has to offer. You can even join our community and add your voice to the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.